You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, folks. Welcome back to the latest Mount Westwire football podcast. Preview extravaganza number three mwr.com obviously myself jeremy matt kennerly i we apologize for being what what are we matt 36 hours late on our weekly preview give or take blame me for traveling to texas yeah, road, war- to. road warrior road warrior I, yeah i've been i don't want to complain about travel but let's just say amtrak i liked riding your train you know what i didn't like matt waiting five hours to get on the train oh no yeah so that was an issue Train itself, great, amazing. Four-hour train ride, perfect. Cheap, cheap ticket. What I was doing, but yeah, I've been going everywhere. I've been Dallas, San Antonio. I'm just going crazy this summer. I don't know what the deal is. I'm hanging with family, doing stuff. But we're not here to talk about me or this Utah State football is what we're doing this week. I'm just explaining why we're kind of delayed, and it happens. You know what this means? You have more chance to listen at a different time. You know what I mean? It's like eh, you got Utah State. It's out there. So we got the Aggies. Um, we're gonna keep this timely, so we're not gonna discuss a certain particular news breaking at the moment. So, if you listen to this in two months, you'd be like, What news is that back on what's today, June 8th? June 7th. So, there's some news out there, but we're not gonna get to it, so you can look it up and try to figure it out. But, Utah State football preview number three you, the people, voted on to decide to go for the Aggies, and we love the Aggies. You know why, Matt? Every time we do their preview season preview, it's like our most downloaded one and listened to ever of the year, just about. Yeah, and and we'll, I'm hopefully we'll be able to touch upon all the questions that we got from you know our Aggies followers on Twitter at MWC Wire, because I think it would have been very apathetic, or it would have been very easy for the fan base to be apathetic about like, oh man, here we go again with with a, with another rebuild after the way that 2020 unfolded, which you know for for lack of a better term, it was not pretty. You're being kind by saying not pretty. It was a disaster. But I think that I'll say it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I think to kind of, to, you know, kind of look back on the season that was in a nutshell, you know, if, if you listened to last week's podcast uh, about San Diego state, you know, you, you heard our brief discussion about that, the whole uh, expected points added metric and how the Aztecs, you know, had that particular issue where they were number one in defense, but they were a net negative overall because they were so bad on offense 
And if you go by that same metric, looking at Utah State, um, they didn't really have that problem because they were just bad all around. <laughs> um, <laughs> in terms of ex- in terms of net expected points added, the only team that was worse anywhere in the country last year was UMass, Yikes. which is not the company that you want to keep. Mm-hmm. And you know, and and that's not to take away from the from the glimmers of hope that we saw in the second half of last year. You know, once. Gary Anderson you know, stepped away from the head coaching job once they made the Quit. switch. <laughs> Excuse yeah. me. Sorry about that. Apologies. However you choose to frame it. <laughs> um, you know, once, uh, um, you know, they replaced Jason Shelley at quarterback, once they started, you know, getting more playing time for other guys on both sides of the ball, you could start to see something. And the only question was, okay, well, which direction were they going to go in the off season to really supplement the young talent that started to emerge? Enter Blake Anderson from Arkansas State. And what, with all of the moves that they've made in the offseason, both in terms of kind of putting together a, a fairly impressive recruiting class, given the circumstances, and also hitting the transfer portal maybe harder than any other head coach in the Mountain West, now all of a sudden, you know, you're looking ahead to fall camp and you're looking ahead to the 2021 season. And I, I mean, I don't know if, if Utah State's going to you know, break barriers or anything like that, but I think they're definitely in the conversation as being the most interesting team in the Mountain West for all the moves I'll, that they've made in the offseason. You know what I think they have? And I'll, this might be hyperbole, but I don't think so. Unless I'm missing somebody glaring, you can yell at me through the mic, through your headset or you, Matt. I think they got the two best transfers in the conference. Yeah. Like, Justin Rice, we know that's, him, right? That's one. I, I am very familiar with Justin Rice's work. Yes, yes. you are. For, Fresno State was he our number one player last year? Top fifty? Did he left or something? Uh, or top five? He wasn't. He wasn't number one. I believe that was Dom Peterson on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, but I, I don't remember where he was at exactly. I think he was in top, the top five. twelve at least. Yeah. And then they bring in a quarterback, Logan Bonner from Arkansas State. Mm-hmm. Is there any better offensive-defensive combination that brought in from Transfer Portal? Without having the entire transfer list in front of me at the exactly. moment, I mean, it's hard to say, but I mean, because you're talking about definitely two, and they're, and they're hardly alone. Like, I believe it was yeah. the Deseret News, Trent Wood over there put together the entire mm-hmm. list, and, and this was as of a couple of weeks ago, that Utah State has brought in 13 transfers from both the and group of five and, and from the Power Five conferences as well. Which is, you know, when I think to kind of preface the entire conversation before moving from position to position, you know, the, the very first question I think we got was from uh, Colin Christensen, who was asking, can a team with a new coach and this many new pieces get together quickly enough to make a push for a Mountain West title? Well, wait, how, wait, how quickly are they referring to? They mean year one or what are they, are they talking about this year? Conference title? I think I, I, I'm assuming that was the intent of the question. Like how, what is the potential for the rebound? Because I I'll think say this I've conference the- title. Hold on, conference title. One word answer. No. Two, three word answer. Not a chance. <laughs> Sorry, they're not winning the conference title this year. But I think they've they've got enough guys now that they are going to be very intriguing, and they're going to be a lot more of a headache week in and week out than they were for most of 2020. And I think that's where we kind of have to start the conversation. Yeah, and so like we well, I, I also like what is first off who's who the heck is Blake Anderson? You know what I mean? That's kind of where we start as well. Like if you're not familiar with who he is, he's a, 
Arkansas State, who, if you look at the coaches they've had, there are coaches that it, Brian Harson, Houston Nutt, Gus Malzone. Look at all those guys who have been there, won conference titles. Mm-hmm. They didn't start to, I think, I think when Brian Harson won the title in Arkansas State, like the Sun Belt, didn't they go like five straight years with five different coaches and five conference titles or something? Absurd was, like that? I don't know if it was quite that long. I think it was like three or four years in a row for sure before Blake Anderson stepped in and really stopped that revolving door. Yeah, of winning titles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, not to say, no, that's not knocking in, but yeah, they had a stretch here of, um, uh, of course, I choose our, I go, Arkansas State Sports Reference. I get basketball. I'm like, what are you guys doing here? But they're a program where people know Arkansas State. It's a good program where teams win. Or pro- yeah, teams win. Coaches get better jobs. It's just the way it is. Because Blake Anderson was there for a no lose and one losing season in 2020. Whatever. You know, what I mean, it's like I don't care too much, but it happened. He had six winning seasons before that. He took over for Brian Harson. Oh yeah, it's three. He not excuse me, not Houston Nuts. Hugh Freeze was the other coach who uh, yes. went yes. there. That's what it was. My mistake. He went 10 and 3, 10 and 3, 8 and 5. And then Blake Anderson basically kept it about the same, like winning about averaging about seven wins a season. And then he had the four win year last year and then before mm-hmm. he got a state job. So he wins. Tough place to recruit over there in Arkansas. I think it's what Joe Burrow. Is that correct? I believe. Yes. In Arkansas. So he goes to a program, took over that was already pretty good. So it's already tough to get some belt guys going to Arkansas State, stuff like that. Utah State, well, a little tricky to get the talent there, but they've been a good enough program where I would say they were what Blake Anderson did at Arkansas State the past six or so, so years. It's kind of where Utah State has been because they've been close to conference titles, winning seven to nine games. Utah State maybe touched better because they went to what they go to one championship game, I remember, because it was blacked out. My local TV had to find on some random weird channel to watch it. Yeah, watch their title game with, but so he's been basically the success is almost mere. Utah State has a touch blow, but what what he can do at Arkansas State here, winning conference games, they always can play tough OOC games. He's a coach who can win in places where it's like I oh, should probably be okay, pretty good, and I like them because when we're looking at who was coming beforehand, it's like are we gonna really? I know was it? I think Rich Rodriguez was into running some name was out there at some point. Like last time, not this time, but before. Like, are they going to get a coach like that? Are they get a, a hot OC? Because when they, br- they brought in the old Richard Gary, I understand it's like, that's, that was kind of, again, uninspired hire, in my opinion. And people get mad at me, say it's a booster hire, 100% booster hire. I don't care what you say. This seemed to be more of a search hire, and John Hartwell got the guy he wanted. Mm-hmm. So. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What do we do at quarterback? Let's start there, I guess. They have... Bonner didn't play in spring football because he was recovered. Was he was um, not able to play? Yeah, I think he was recovering from injury, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, injury. Um, Andrew Peasley played a bunch last year. They, it's going to be a, they're one of the many schools outside of uh, I guess Wyoming Namers recently, if you saw that. But you have at this, at this moment in time Aztecs QB competition. You have a Boise State. You have whatever's going on in New Mexico and UNLV. Mm-hmm. But this is probably the third most serious quarterback competition with legit. 
ramifications for how the 2021 season will play out in their division. Yeah. Not saying Utah State's going to win it or even maybe go to the bowl game, but Mexico's still not close, obviously. UNLV still not close. Utah State's not super close, but they're much closer to get to a bowl game. Like I'm not saying the quarterback competition will decide a bowl game or not, but it'll go a long way for this year and next year, where I think 21 is where they can really make some difference and pl- get up into that conversation where they typically are mm-hmm. like middle, middle to upper tier in the, in the West mountain division, and then see what happens. They get some upsets or they, they be are good enough to beat these teams. So that kind of gives my hand away where I'm going to put them at, but it's going to be full on competition from this. And Peasley played like, what do he play? Half the season last year and took over for a uh, Jason Shelley, who, he... what, what was it? Kicked off the team, left the team. He's no longer a member. One of those three things. Uh, sort of, sort of persona non grata after a while, I guess. <laughs> Roll a dice um, and pick. So Peasley had essentially two full games uh, at the very end of the year. You know, home against New Mexico, home against Air Force, and the the results. If you just look at the stats, you were pretty decidedly mixed. Like on on the year, mm-hmm. you know, he completed fifty three percent of his passes. You know, it, it not not a great yards per attempt figure. Five point seven four touchdowns against three interceptions. But that really, you know, he, in that first game against the Lobos, he looked pretty sharp. And, I, and I think I remember, I remember saying something to the effect of, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they have something here because he, he looked like he could be a mobile quarterback. He could throw on the move and he was giving that passing game some signs of life where, you know, for a month prior, they didn't really have any. And then in the, in the finale against the Falcons, he really struggled. You know, he only completed 53% of his passes uh, you know, he averaged under four yards an attempt, you know, a couple picks. So it wasn't like the greatest performance, but also, you know, maybe in terms of like defensive stature, Air Force was a little stouter than the Lobos. Yeah. But I, I think, you know, and I think this ties into another question that came up from uh, from Vic Saunders uh, at One True Aggie he was asking, you know, can a quarterback with experience in a system, but no spring ball, can he be expected to beat out the QBs who actually worked in the spring? And I think you want to take, you, know, do you want to take the answer from Fresno state from three years ago? Well, I, so I don't think that's a one-to-one situation because McMary, McMarion didn't, didn't come over from anywhere with any coaches. He came from a power five program, Oregon state. Yeah. And he had, he, in, in, in his first year in charge, 2017, it was a pretty limited playbook. Like they didn't really ask him to do that much until the following year when they were able to open it up and have that really incredible season. The, the situation with Logan Bonner is not totally the same. And I mean, my, my expectation, of course, is that the competition is going to continue into the fall. Like, I think, has to. I, I think logically you could make it a, a, a three quarterback race between Peasley, Bonner, and Cooper Legas. I think yeah, realistically, sure Cooper... realistically, it's probably the first two. Yeah. But if you look at what Bonner did in his two years, more or less, as a I mean, I, I don't know if you would call him a part-time starter or a full-time starter because he shared playing time with Lane Hatcher um, for most of the last two years. But, you know, in 2019 and 2020, you know, he had 29 touchdowns against seven interceptions. You know, had about a seven yards per attempt average, quarterback rating of 137. And he completed, you know, 59.5% of his passes. So that's pretty good. You know, he... and. I, I had a chance to go back and watch a couple of his games, his, his stretches in charge of the offense in particular from last year. And what stood out to me from, from the Blake Anderson offense was the fact that, you know, the, the running game wasn't necessarily like uh, it, it wasn't necessarily a lot of 
flash involved. Like there weren't a lot of fly sweeps. There's a lot of north and south running. You know, they would often have an H bat in the in the backfield. He would you know cut across and maybe throw a block to open a open up a, a running lane for for a back or something like that. You know, a lot of three and four wide receiver sets. A lot of shotgun, as you might expect. And and when you look at you know kind of their run pass breakdown last year. Um, you know, you see that Arkansas State was 11th anywhere in the country. They threw the ball 56.2% of the time, which, you know, if you're thinking in terms of like Mountain West teams, that's roughly the amount of time that San Jose State threw the football last year. And it'll be interesting if, to see if that's the direction they go in, because I think the other thing that I'll be very interested to see, like how Blake Anderson's offense meshes with the offensive coordinator that he brought in, Anthony Tucker. Because when you go back and watch UCF's offense, you know, you see a lot of similarities, but you also see some striking differences as well. Like I went back and I watched some, some Knights games from last year as well. And just maybe as a quick refresher to take a step back first, you know, Tucker spent the last three years at UCF. He was the running backs coach in 2018. Uh, he was a, uh, a passing game coordinator in 2019. Last year, he was their co-offensive coordinator. And so you're, you know, you're talking about a team that was running like 80 plays a game. They were scored, I think they scored 33 points a game, eight different times. They didn't really reach their overall peak from, from like 2018, 2019, but you know, they were, there's no doubt they were really potent on offense still. And what really stood out to me from them, you know, the difference between UCF and Arkansas state last year, one was tempo. Like the Red Wolves tended to be a lot more deliberate than UCF. And, and from what I saw, which would admittedly would one was a very small sample size. So I'm, I'm careful to extrapolate yeah. too, too much. And two, I'm, I'm, I am not a film buff, let's say. So to my untrained eye, you're more than welcome <laughs> to go find new videos on YouTube and see this for yourself. UCF kind of seemed like a roller coaster where for, for all the explosive plays that they generated for as fast as they moved, there were a lot of instances where it always seemed to be teetering on the edge of disaster where, where Dylan Gabriel, for example, would be like scrambling and he might fumble the football, but he'd be down on contact or something like that. Or, you know, there would be like a near interception or things like that. And you didn't, I didn't really get that sense from, from Bonner and what our, and what, from what Anderson was doing at Arkansas state, they were a lot more deliberate on offense, you know, on the, on the surface, they were running from a lot of the same formations, a lot of single backs, uh, you know, trips wide receivers, you know, three, four wide receivers. It wasn't quite the same thing. And so it'll be interesting to see which direction they go in. Like, do, are they, you know, is, is if Bonner ends up being the guy and he doesn't have to share the job with, with Peasley or Legas or anybody else, you know, for the first time in his collegiate career, are they going to allow him to put the pedal to the metal? in the way that Tucker's Knights did over the last few years, or is it going to be more like it was with the Red Wolves where, yeah, they were definitely a more wide open offense, but it wasn't one that, it was one that was more than willing to chew clock. And so I think, I would guess that Bonner ends up winning the job. I think we'll have to wait and see what fall competitions look like, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing because I think he's got like, you know, nearly two years worth of starting experience to prove that you know he could step right in and be among the best handful of quarterbacks in the Mountain West right away. I'd connect the dots. Coach transfers, starting quarterback transfers, 
equals it could be as simple as that i was just trying i was just trying to extrapolate (laughs) and do a little do a little bit of homework let's say no no no, it's good no it's good to know like no i your what you said was amazing like what they do what you say for received like what those great stuff and i just like kind of bust it about some fun work it could very well but i do think i'm not gonna say it's a fake competition where logan comes in and he's like you're the guy like you know what i mean it's like Mm -hmm. yeah peasley he's seen peasley in spring probably looked at what he did last year I would give Logan the edge, bought Logan bottom of the edge because the system's going to be similar. Even with the new OC coming in, it's still going to be Blake Anderson's offense. And you look what Utah or excuse me, Arkansas State did last year. Like they were, they protected the ball pretty well. They got too not this is not compared to everything, but they got sacked a few too many times. Touchdown to QB ratio was 39-9 for everybody that played. Mm-hmm. And in between Hatcher and Bonner, and Bonner had six. Like, yeah, but they had 18 touchdowns. Yeah. They completed the ball reasonably well. They throw the ball deep ball. Like I know the receivers are different, but they had a th- Johnny Adams, a thousand yard receiver, mm-hmm. multiple guys over 15, 13 yards per catch, a couple over 20. And even like, I like Jeff Foreman, 33 yards per cat per catch, 13. So they want to go deep. They want explosive receivers. And you're right. The running game needs to be probably just good enough. And we'll get to running backs in a minute, but they lost Jalen Warren, but they get all the transfers. So that's kind of a big loss in my opinion. But it's probably going to be Logan Bonner, but you make a good point. Like, how's the offense going to look? Is it more like Arkansas State? Is it what they're going to do? I just think Bonner's going to get it. But it's going to, if it's decided, it's probably going to be this. There's, you know, coaches are stupid. We're going to keep secrets forever. Odds are it's probably going to be like settled 10 days before the opener versus um, Washington State. Mm-hmm. But I'm leaning Bonner for everything you said. Plus, it's just, it's just simple. It's to me, it seems simple math where this makes the most sense. Why would you leave a place where you're basically the starter? to a place where you can back up a guy who's like a sophomore or something. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think, I think it would, it would make sense for Bonner to be QB one and to shoulder most of the offensive burden. If mm-hmm. only because while the Aggies do have, you know, pretty much anybody who contributed at, on the ground and as part of the running game beyond Warren coming back for 2021, mm-hmm. still kind of a question as to like how they're going to deploy all those guys because they've, they've got like a really interesting committee going on where like Devonte Henry Cole, who I think we both maybe expect a little bit from more from last year. Um, I mean the two time transfer before going to Utah state essentially. <laughs> yeah. He, you know, he had a, he had a fairly quiet year, but you know, he's back. Um, you know, they've got a trio of, of freshmen and sophomores coming back. Um, I had a depth chart here somewhere. And now I can't find it. Um, well, I think Henry Cole should be the guy this year. I mean, like, Expect, yeah. expectation to last year because Utah's produced a ton of good running backs. Okay. He knew he wasn't going to get the job. And it's just kind of a hard thing when you come in like, oh, well, you're playing a game in a week essentially and then go start playing. Mm-hmm. Like to be. So I think it's like most guys who transferred last year, any player who was young or new or incoming, he'll have time as he has during spring and currently in fall camp or upcoming to just learn everything. And he's also more, think of this too, he's also more in equal footing because last year they had Jalen Warren who left like what one or two games left of the season mm-hmm. and so it's like he wasn't gonna be a starter he's coming to be a backup of some sorts now he's a chance of learning the new system which everybody's learning like he's more than equal footing with everybody in the on the roster right now so that's where i think he'd have we could just move the running backs right now but i think he has a pretty good shot to be rb1 yeah but i mean i, th- I think if he's rb1 it's sort of like I still think they're probably going to deploy in more of a committee fashion than in a bell cow type fashion. And I say that because, you know, they've got, you know, three guys who saw, you know, a fair amount of playing time last year, like Palate Makakona, John Gentry, uh, Ella Leon Noah, 
all three of those guys are coming back. And, you know, Henry Cole might be the name that, you know, most casual Mountain West fans are familiar with, but also like he's a senior coming into this year. Like this is going to be his last year of eligibility, I believe. And and the three guys I just mentioned, uh, you know, Makakona is a redshirt sophomore, Gentry and Noah are both freshmen. So those three guys, and and maybe Calvin Tyler, if you want to throw him in there, he's a, a junior as well. You know, those three guys, that quartet maybe are, like the future at that position. And so I think they're going to get more opportunities than they got in, in kind of the shortened COVID weirdness of of 2020, (laughs) you know, Noah only had 31 carries and you only averaged two, 2.6 yards per carry, but maybe you want to write that off a little bit. And, and Makakona and Gentry both averaged 4.7, which yeah, 10, 10 carries and seven carries respectively, but that's still maybe like a tiny little something you can hang your hat on. Yeah, it, it, you got you to find something from last year because it wasn't – they're one – remember, one in five last year. One well, and, and, and here's the other thing too. Like for, for the, the overall mess on the surface, like, you know, if you're looking for glimmers that they could possibly attempt to maintain or, or even improve upon, and you look at some of the advanced measures from, from last year when it comes to like the, the running game and the offensive line, this was actually an above-average unit in terms of line yards per carry. Like they were 45th in the country on offense. And, and, you know, in terms of opportunity rate, so like their ability to get to the second level, and maybe a lot of that was driven by Warren and, and quarterback scrambles and stuff like that. But, you know, they were 36th by that metric in short yardage situations, power success rate, they had an 84.6% success rate. That was 10th in the country. So they did some nice things. And maybe that had to do with the fact that for maybe, you know, a lot of the mess elsewhere on offense, they they didn't really have a lot of, uh, of turmoil in the offensive line. Like I think it was Ty Shaw who had that, that controversy where he didn't end up seeing any playing time because of uh, I'm trying to remember the exact details and I can't, I apologize. Um, I don't recall either. Um, but, you know, I think he was expected to, to be an anchor on the offensive line. He missed the year, but, you know, Carter Shaw played all five games, all six games, excuse me. Uh, you know, Alfred Edwards started all six games. You know, Edwards is back. Dimitri Kalafua is back. Four or five uh, starters are back. Four or five starters back. And so I think, you know, th- it's not to say that there was like a, a perfect unit, like for all the, uh, for all the metrics I just threw out there, like it's important to also keep in mind that they were in the triple digits as far as sack rate allowed, um, yeah. you know, 8.2%. 8. <laughs> so, I mean, there's still work to be done. But I think the fact that, you know, they've got four starters coming back, they've got depth at the position. Trade um, first, too. They have a, a TCU train. I'm not sure if you guys are eligible because that's weird. But, like, Quasal White's there from TCU. Then a Liberty offensive line, the Mason Knight. I Mason just don't know Knight, if they're yeah. eligible. So I don't know if they're eligible because that's a weird thing. But And they've, and they've got uh, and they've got other guys with, with playing time with starting experience as well. You know, Andy Cook, yeah. uh, Falapuleyalo. So, I mean, there's going to be some competition. But I think that, you know, if they can, especially if they can shore up their pass protection, again, that's another thing where I don't think you have to look that hard to see where this offense could come out the gate looking a lot better than it did last year. Yeah, and that's why overall, like, running game, we'll see. It's like a mishmash of guys. Offensive line might probably, do you think that's their best position on offense? Because who they're coming back, if the transfers can play and the guys who are returning talent, that's going to be an area where, yeah, they weren't great and Zachary, but it can't be worse. It's, you know what I mean? They got to be a bit better than that. And it'll be interesting because, like I said, we'll see it a bunch. It's a new offensive scheme. It's kind of a clean slate for all these guys to 
get back a starting job or earn a job or beat somebody out that you weren't ahead of last year. Mm-hmm. So it looks like there's depth in competition and playing experience too. They're going to be better. And so that could be pretty good. Like it, I don't know if it'd be the best, but if they have all those guys back and transfer, if they're eligible, they're going to be a unit where it's got to be better than last year. And playing time is playing time. It's it's obviously a bonus compared to sitting and watching. Mm-hmm. So that's also to consider how well they could be, even though they didn't really perform last year. But receiving group, I don't know, man. It's uh, They have a couple of guys. Like, is Savon Scarver going to finally be a good receiver? I don't think it's so much about Savon Scarver with this unit, to be honest. I know. I'm just saying, like, he's he's that return guy came right away, get him on the field. But I know it's not him. They like Brandon Bowling pretty good, but Devin Tompkins is going to be their main guy out there, number one receiver. Well, Bowling um, is de- Bowling is de- at five five nine one eighty five, and he's definitely a slot guy. I know, but he's also but he's also a slot guy who knows the system, which I think is a yeah. step in the right direction. I think sure. to to me, the guy that I'm most interested in seeing whether he can take a leap or not is Justin McGriff. Because you know, one thing that I, I maybe should have mentioned earlier when we were talking about Bonner is the fact that. You know, and you mentioned Jonathan Adams, I think, very very quickly in passing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bonner knew how to find his weapons. And, and Adams was, like, the guy for the Red Wolves last yeah, year. Yeah, 1,100, 1100 yards. And so, I, so I'm looking at this wide receiver unit, which, again, like, they, they, if you look at the stat sheet, it wasn't like they, you know, blew the doors off of anybody last year. Devin Tompkins led the team with 20 catches for 214 yards and a score. Yeah, four a game. But, you know, he's coming back. Scarver's back, like you mentioned. Derek Wright's back. Pretty much everybody is back there, too. Uh, Jordan Nathan, Kyle Van Leeuwen. Uh, and, and we didn't even mention Carson Terrell at tight end. But McGriff is the guy he stands out. I mean, not only does he, like, physically stand out. Like, he's a 6'6", six, <laughs> six, six, 220 dude in, in a sea of, like, 5'9", five, 5'8". Five, I know. I'm looking, sort of I'm, looking at the, I'm looking at the heights here. It's, like, 5'9", five, 5'11", five, maybe 6'20 for Derek Wright. But he was Cooper also Jones, he was five, also a, six. but he was also a guy like especially in that New Mexico game last year where you could you looked at him and he, he had four catches ninety nine yards and a touchdown and you start to see okay yeah like you could see why they why they brought him in from the JUCO ranks and so I think that this this might not be a unit that has an all conference performer in it but I think with better quarterback play they're they're almost they have to be better. or I think they're, they're going to be better than they were last year just by virtue of regression to the mean. But I think Bonner is, is a good enough quarterback where if he wins the job, he could, he could, you know, pull a lot of those receivers past the mean and, and make them like pretty good receivers. Like, you know, we've seen flashes from Jordan Nathan in the past. I think McGriff is a guy who, you know, if I had to, if I had to put money on a guy, I think could be a, a, in the competition as all conference performer, he would probably be it. And, and I think Tompkins is maybe the third guy where, uh, if I remember correctly, you know, Blake Anderson talked him into staying. I think he was in the, the transfer portal for a minute. And so the fact that he was able to get buy-in from, from guys like Tompkins to stick around and be a part of what he's trying to build there, you know, it, it kind of brings up another question that came up in, in, on Twitter. Brian Brereton was asking, you know, what positions would look to be a strength? I think wide receiver could be a strength, especially if the quarterback situation plays out the way I think we both expect that it might. They have, like, going through his names, like, I just didn't doing research, and then you go through again. I get the size thing is kind of a, a joke, a little not joke, but kind of, oh, that's funny, a bunch of 5'9, five, 5'10 five, guys. But they have depth. Like, I, like you mentioned, Savon Scarver, he's just a name for 
probably most people because oh they're all American return guy. Mm-hmm. What's he? Their fourth receiver maybe. And the way Arkansas State spread the ball around, like I'm looking at last year, they put 11 games. They had three players with 30 more catches. Well, obviously Adams was 79. They're not. I Utah State. They don't have. They don't. I don't see them having a guy who's going to get them that many like triple the amount of targets or, or catches. They're right, double at least. Mm-hmm. I don't think they have that guy, but they have plenty to spread it around to get it to Nathan, to get it to Scarver, get it to Tompkins, getting all these guys where the offense he wants to run is what three to five wide out essentially. Mm-hmm. Shock, shotgun. They have guys like, okay, you're not playing well. Peace out. We got somebody else. We got the six, six guy. We got this other speedster guy. It's going to be a unit where potential to be the best, I think, but um, they, what they have on their roster right now, what we kind of see going forward, they have the most players and it could be a thing where they, it's like the running back by committee thing. They may have like seven receivers who catch a lot of passes because there's no, there's maybe one standout, but then the rest of a bunch of guys are all really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's where like, I kind of think that'll be. Let's put it this way. Like they're projected by Bill Connolly to be 111th in terms of uh, offensive SP plus. I think there's a really good chance that they beat that projection. Hmm. I can see that. Yeah. So what do you think overall the offense? Is it going to be like, we both seem reasonably high on what they can do offensively. Quarterback play, I'd lean more Logan Bonner because it's the system we mentioned. Um, offensive line should be improved with this returning talents, even though it wasn't great, plus amount of starts. And pending, I just don't know. I can't, like, transfers are a weird thing. That thing passed where you could transfer instantly. So maybe all those guys are eligible. It gives them a couple more players at the depth, the depth chart to uh, fill it out. Mm-hmm. I, you're right in saying the intrigue is there because there's a lot of, I don't know, new offense, new OC, what are they going to run, new quarterback, um, new coach, new running back. Like everything's new. It's all kind of new running back, I should say, not really Devonta Henry Cole, but sort of because he really got to play last year and get going because Jalen Warren left halfway through the year. I think if you're looking, to, I think if you're looking to set a bar that everybody can understand, you look at where they were in 2019, where in terms of like yards per play on offense, they were middle of the pack in the Mountain West, 5.81. I think if, if you're looking for maybe a, a goal to, for this offense to reach. That's probably it because I think it, I mean, I think it's probably too much to expect them to get back to 2018 right away where they were at, they were number one in the conference at 6.84, but they definitely aren't going to be as bad as last year when they were dead last at 4.57. So, I mean, I think, I think a a good goal for the offense would be to rebound by at least one yard per play. Yeah. I don't think that that's too much to ask with all the talent that they brought in on that side of the ball. Yeah, we'll see. I, I looking overall the offense, it's going to be a work in progress through through, part, through a couple games. Mm-hmm. I don't think they come out being amazing. I think Washington State. Then they got what was it, um, South Dakota State? Is that another schedule too? The SCS team there. Sorry, North just North North Dakota, North Dakota State. North Dakota. Okay, not okay, but like there's and they get Air Force, Boise State, BYU, decent stretch there. So it'll be a couple weeks. That's why their first month, their first six weeks is going to be a struggle. Mm-hmm. But it'll be interesting to watch if they start off Logan Butter starts so strong, then that could maybe sway a couple more wins in their favor, like one, maybe two in that first month or so. Mm-hmm. Are we ready for defense? Let's do it. So, as we know, Utah State typically known for the defense <laughs> for what they do. Bobby Wagner being the big guy who's still tearing up at the Seahawks NFL. Um, 
when Gary when Gary Anderson returned, like, oh, defense will be great. It'll be good. Eh, they have a couple guys here and there, right? They were able to – the trend I saw last year is – remember they were playing Nevada like it was close to halftime? Mm-hmm. There are a lot of, hey, we're doing good at halftime. Offense is struggling. Defense is holding the door, giving up maybe 7, 14 points in the first half. Then just fell apart in the second half because other teams figured them out. They just got too tired. Depth wasn't there. So there were, despite the defense not being like overall like good, like they are near the bottom in yards per play, stuff like that. But I think there's potential when you look at splits of what they did that the more experience and playing time, even though it was only six games, is going to help. Plus, again, freaking Justin Rice is back. But I think the defense can make pretty big strides because they were good for early part of games. It was just that second half where they just kind of like, up, oh, see ya. We're, we're not interested in playing football anymore. So this, so this was another thing that, that Bill Connolly brought up sort of in passing when he was when he did his his mountain division preview, I think it was back in like January or February. He he mentioned that, you know, one, the, the defense was slightly worse in 2020 than the offense. You know, in terms of SP plus, they were 115th overall. And while they did have some individual talents, which we'll get to, he mentioned very quickly that you know opponents were almost never off schedule. And I took that to mean that opponents could basically do whatever they wanted on early downs, especially. Mm-hmm. And so, so I went and I looked, I was like, okay, well, how did Utah state actually do on first downs? Um, so in terms of like past defense, we'll start that. Um, first of all, they gave up an opponent's passer rating of 189.73. They allowed a 72.5% completion percentage and over 10 yards per play on first downs. And defending the run was not much better. Uh, They gave up over six yards per carry on first downs. That has to get better. I think if you're looking for one thing that is probably going to get better, like another thing that is likely to regress to the mean, that's where you start. (laughs) Because, Mm. um, you know, because I think the more that the Aggies are, able to challenge opposing offenses and put them into, you know, tougher third down situations in particular, you know, that was something that they really struggled mightily with in, in 2020. And so that I think is going to be really important for them to do a little bit of a better job with, you know, whether it's being disruptive or just, you know, being able to stop opponents more consistently at the line of scrimmage. Like I mentioned, uh, I, I don't know if I mentioned stuff right on offense, but I'll just bring it up here as kind of an example of what I'm talking about. Stuff rate, of course, is just the percentage of plays stopped at or behind the line of scrimmage. And last year, the defense was they had a they had a stop rate of eleven point seven percent, which was one hundred and twenty second nationally. And by by every, pretty much every other measure that I mentioned a minute ago, you know, line yards per carry, opposing, uh, or excuse me, opportunity rate, power success rate, they were below average there as well. Which again, with all the talent they've brought in. Hmm is not to say that there isn't a decent chance they could at least pull that back to average, if not better. You think one thing I brought on too, you may, I, I'm looking at the same thing where like the off schedule thing, you know, one like, uh, are we doing a position group where he's talking defense in general? I'm just I mean, we, we can talk it. defense in general, but then before moving to the defensive line. Yeah. Yeah. Just one quick thing about that. You mentioned like we'll get to AJ Vonk Chapong or geez, Vonk, but Chong. Yeah. Is that right? Sure. Nailed it. AJ. Thank you. Probably not, but it's okay. AJ there. Like, it's one thing you point out. We saw, what was that game last year? What, 20 tackles, 17 tackles? 
he was a tackling machine back there. And you mentioned the off schedule thing, which means they can't blitz. And when they were able to rush the passer, they did it good. And so you mentioned like that, this could lead to defensive line. If they get pressure to quarterback, don't let big running plays early on. Instead of it being third and two, it might be third and seven. And that could bring the guys like AJ and others just to, all right, we're reared to go and boom, get to the quarterback and make mm-hmm. plays. Cause it's just this odd defense seemed like when they were able to put in a decent position, they performed well. It's just that they weren't in a good position very often to have a defensive scheme where it's third and six. Odds are you're passing, maybe a screenplay, it's a little mixed up a bit, but you Yeah, I mean if, if if on average your opponent is getting upset up with second and four. Gee. Not great for your chances to, to to force a three and out. Good luck, right? Is that the tip we say? Exactly. We give to them? So, so what do we say about defensive line? Because it all it all starts there. Because it really don't... does. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Because if you didn't say those words, I was going <laughs> to say those words. Because if you don't have a push, and that's what you just said, second and four. Like if you don't have any sort of push, you don't even necessarily need it'd be helpful, but you don't need pressure out there. But if you can just get disruption at some level, well, I guess that's all the same thing. My point being, you don't have to sign the quarterback every time. You don't have to give a yards a loss of yards in play. But if you're making it, like you said, like not getting six yards on first down, if you can make it in between, you push the guy around, you make the team uncomfortable a little bit, that they don't I don't think they need to make huge plays, but just slow down the offense and give your defense a chance. Mm-hmm. Stick a hand up, man. I don't care that sometimes all it takes you see the big lineman like, oh I'm quick, boom, boom. You can't see him. I'm throwing my hands there. It's like you knock the ball now, the pass is coming, they throw a bullet to that to that crossing pattern, you get the hand up and knock the ball. Perfect. You didn't get pressure, but you did something positive on the play. They need more positive plays on the defensive line. And that could be done not on the – well, I guess a pass defense isn't on the stat sheet. But if they get pressure through, it could lead open for the linebackers, lead other things going on. But just make a play early on and make it – give your defense a chance. That's all. That's like the thing. Give us, give us a chance. They have players. They're just not the defensive line, at least not last year. Yeah, and I mean, I think I think if they're hoping the transfer portal makes an impact anywhere on this team, I think it's going to be up front because you know, obviously, you know, guys like Bonner, guys like Rice, who we've already mentioned, are the big names in the group. But I think you know, other guys that they brought in from the portal are arguably more important to you know helping them reach whatever their ceiling might be. And I'm talking about Patrick Patrick Joyner. Yeah, those guys. So Patrick Joyner's one. Uh, yeah. Byron Vaughn's from Texans is Texas is another. And Gilly, if you, and Gilly, if you, I guess. And if you want to throw it back to last year for a minute, Marcus Moore, who transferred from UCLA, mm-hmm. you know, he'll he'll be in the mix in on the interior along with Hale Motuapuaka, uh, James Hansen. Uh, you know, so I mean they've again they've got guys up front, but I think it's it's those na- those transfer guys that they brought in in particular, especially if they can rush from the edge. And give them something that you know they didn't always have last year, and, and and maybe put a little less pressure on the linebackers to have to generate all the pressure. Um, and that doesn't even mention you know Jahaziel Lee from Georgia Tech was another guy that they brought in along the defensive line. You know that's you know it better work. Five, six it needs guys to work. we just talked about that where yeah, yeah. yeah. They, if they can be better than 120 seconds stuff rate, that's going to be a huge step in the right direction. I'll say it right now because I haven't said this podcast we're 30 minutes in. Give me ten percent better of anything, and you'll be really good. Possibly. That's. I mean, you. I mean, you jest, but that's probably true. Yeah. If you're one twenty-two, that there's only last year there weren't even one hundred thirty teams. There were what one twenty. 
because yeah. Charlotte, UConn, New Mexico State didn't play. So you're basically the bottom 1%, the worst part, 99 percentile. Get me to – seriously, 80, 80, give me the 88 percentile. Get them to 96. If that's one – like that, just that little bit can make can go a long way and it can open up a million other things on this defense. Hmm. That's all it takes. Just be a little bit better and you and it could do – it just doesn't help that defensive line unit. It can help the line back up a secondary. It can help the offense if there's not a quick, uh, if there's not a uh, long scoring drive where, or not a long scoring drive, but like it can help. Just, I'm saying something stupid. I'm thinking of two different things. Some <laughs> offense, you know, I was going to say something about speed teams. Like, no, it's completely wrong. Three and outs. Just get to three and outs. Help the offense. That's what I'm getting. <laughs> it helps everybody if that unit that was so bad, like we talked about San Diego State. Just get a little bit better here, or say Wyoming in their passing game when we get to them. Things like that, where teams aren't typically great, just be a little bit better, and it'll go a long way. And we'll see all the faces at the defensive line come through. They got Miami transfers, Georgia Tech transfers, JUCO transfers, guys from last year. He mentioned it's going to be a, a starting lineup's going to be much different. Nothing we expected last year because new coaching staff. You got to revamp it, retool it, and all these new guys coming in. Yeah, and especially since the linebackers could be really good. I mean, well, everybody kind of, I'm assuming, actually, I should, maybe I shouldn't assume, but Justin Rice, if you didn't watch Arkansas State last year, um, was a nightmare for, for all the offenses across the Sun Belt. You know, you're talking about a guy who racked up, he had, what, 76 tackles, 18 and a half tackles for loss, and seven sacks. Somehow didn't win Defensive Player of the Year in the conference. It went to what ninety four from Coastal Carolina. Uh, yeah, could, uh, yeah, I forget his name. He kept cheap shot in Zach Wilson. <laughs> Be what he gave. Yeah, I don't, I don't think anybody in the Mountain West is really, really faulting him for that, though. No, I just remember that <laughs> as a big thing about him knocking around a bit. <laughs> but I mean, you know, you're talking about a guy who could step in and make an instant impact. Of course, like that's your guy right there. But you know, you mentioned Bonquichon a few minutes ago, and he's a guy who. Yeah, obviously he stepped up and had a couple of kind of big games as far as like just racking up tackles. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned like you know they they struggled blitzing last year as a result of the fact that they couldn't get a lot of push up front. But did you realize as a team they were actually thirty second overall in sack rate on defense? The only reason that's surprising is because of the lack of amount of sack rate, not total sack production. Yeah, seven point nine percent. And I, also, and I think you know between in between Rice and Bonkpachan, I think you have to you have to figure there's a really good chance they could come close to maintaining that. Possibly. Also, fun fact: Justin Rice, last year's preseason Player of the Year defensively for the Mountain West. Yes, yes, that too. <laughs> and and we haven't even talked about the fact that Cash Gilliam is kind of moving to. I mean, uh, heard, it was, of, heard it, of him? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he's played most you know mostly safety in the past, but I was I found this depth chart from Brian Phillips over at Twenty Four Seven Sports, and he hasn't listed yeah, it at a deep at a, some position that they're labeled a striker. And so I'm wondering if that's like an Aztec kind of position, or if they're asking him to be like a you know safety linebacker hybrid to do a little bit of everything. Um, but you know, he's another one of those guys. I believe that Anderson convinced to you know remove his name from the transfer portal, and I think you know, he could he could come in and, and be a, or not, not come in, but, you know, stay as part of the defense and be a guy who makes an impact in a totally different way than he has in years past between the three of them. That's a, I mean, that's a linebacker unit that I think has a fairly high ceiling and you know, oh, totally Kevin, Kevin yeah. Meitzenheimer is also back, you know, who made a couple of plays last year is also back. 
So they've got some depth at the position too. And so, again, if, if the defensive line can take a step in the right direction or, or rebound from last year's performance, the linebackers, I think, are plenty good enough to clean up messes behind them and, and, and frustrate offenses from sideline to sideline. Yeah, and I think that striker position is like a linebacker thing because if you look at the three guys there, 5'11", 5'10", 6'1", all over 200 pounds. Mm-hmm. Those aren't secondary guys because look what they have in secondary. They're anywhere from 170 to 190. Yeah. So I'm it's going to be an actual linebacker position essentially because they go forward linemen. The Mike, they go, what is it? Uh, Will, Mike, striker. I guess that's a new name for linebacker. But I could be with Gilliam, what he played last year, right? That could be a thing. And he's also still number five, which whatever you want to think about jersey numbers or whatnot, it's going to be. Guess what? If he plays both, that's going to be better because he can guard a tight end better than maybe a traditional linebacker. If that's the case, if that's what they want to do with him, mm-hmm. and that's just something else you can do, and just another wrinkle of the defense. Where what's this guy going to do? They bring in an extra receiver. Oh, I, I can guard him. It's not a big deal. I'll guard your number four receiver. I'll guard your tight end who's out, who moved out wide. Like I got this. And so you're right. Like Rice just makes a world of difference because he's that good. Like he, like. He can win player player of the year in the conference. I don't see why not. He, he's, oh, yeah. not he's, he's not going to be preseason player of the year again. I'm not sure who that would be at the moment. But he's going to be a first-team all-conference guy when the media presents their awards. He already is like Athlon and Lindsay's and going to be in Phil still eventually when that comes out in the July or late June. Mm-hmm. It's a unit where, like thinking about what we said, like the defensive line, a little bit better. He's going to make that whole unit a million times better just because of what he can do. And it'll make other people around him. It just makes them stronger. And so that's probably their best unit. And if we get to a secondary here, one of the good thing is Shaq Bont returning for like his extra, extra year. Is that how, is that how we're considering it? The extra, extra? Yes. I don't know. What do we say? He's, he's going to be back. So that's cl- clearly production there. That's an experience and a guy's been around. It's just with all these guys, it's not just that they played. But it's also like, hey, they have the knowledge and just kind of maturity of being around a year. And one thing I do wonder, too, we haven't gotten to this kind of an off-topic thing. Like, what are these guys going to do when they come back where it's a normal year where they had to be – because look how focused they had to be last year. They were – or because of all the distractions going on. Yeah. We have to test this way. We have to go to school this way. You can't see this person. You can see this person, but you, you got to do this. We're going to a game. Oh, it's canceled last second. We don't want to play. Remember that? They didn't want to play a game. Oh, game, yeah. Yeah, they didn't want to play. And so imagine now, like, how hard – like, we talked about a little bit. Like, how hard is it to – is it's mostly for our entertainment. That's basically what it was, and money. Yeah. Like, money. I guarantee – it. Always. But I guarantee, like, if they give them choice to play, there would have been a lot more that had they can just go to school and be done with it. That's the reason all these schools didn't go to bowl games. Like Boston College, Boise State, Pitt, probably others are not remembering. They're like, we're done. We don't want to go to bowl game on December 29th and miss Christmas with our family. So and that's going to be good for And it's not just Utah State. It's just something I thought about just now. That without those attractions, just playing football, how much more relaxed are they going to be? Relieved? It's There's still going to be a cut, some restrictions in place because we're not, no, we're not out of the woods yet for everything here. But it's going to be much more, let's just play football and do your schoolwork and be done. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that can go a bit. I know I'm going on topic for the DBs here, but that's going to go a long way for all of these guys that played last year. Yeah. And, and, you have, and you have to imagine too, that like, you know, another thing that may have held them back last year is the fact that there was a lot of, a, a little more shuffling in the secondary than there was in a lot of other units. 
know, Cam Lampkin started four games. I think Shaq Vaughn was the only guy in the secondary who started every single game last year. You know, Luke Marion started a couple of games. Uh, Sahadri Jackson started, I think, three or four games. Um, and and all and again, all of those guys are coming back. But I think, you know, if there's one unit that has more to prove than the rest, I think, you know, the defensive line could be one question. But I think if you're looking for something else that could potentially hold this team back, it's, you know, how well they rebound defending against the pass. And I think, you know, one, one number I look at, which it's impossible to predict, you know, they, they had 14 passes broken up last year, which is, you know, middle of the pack. And it's not too bad. Two interceptions. Hmm. So they have to not be gonna... a little, they have to be a little bit better than that. And I think it'll help. I think it'll help that they have everybody coming back pretty much who saw any kind of extensive playing time starts and otherwise, you know, Lampkin's back, Mike Onyonwu is back. You mentioned Shaq Bond, Dominic Tatum started a couple of games. He's back. Marion. I think the, the only real competition among, you know, guys who, who, who weren't around last year is that free safety. Like who's going to start opposite Bond. And I think right now Phillips has, you know, Jared Green and, and, uh, Johnny Carter is being listed as two a pair of sophomores in the running at the top of, of the depth chart at that position. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But I think as a unit, they maybe have maybe a touch more to prove than the defensive line. You think so? Even more than that? I think so. Because I mean, because this is a, this is a unit that got picked on a lot last year. You know, I mean, I mentioned like the first down statistics, but in, in terms of like all all of their plays. You know, this is a, a, a unit that allowed a 67.7% completion rate, not great, uh, 14 to 2 touchdown interception ratio. Um, and just like they didn't really have, like they, they gave up 20 first downs on 44 pass attempts, like uh, on third downs. Not great when you're giving up nearly 50% on, on any third down. That includes, you know, six of nine on third and 10 or more. Like obviously that's probably gonna it's gonna regress a little bit to to, to average, but I think you know I, I think a little more consistency, you know, identifying the guys who are gonna be the guys rather than continually shuffling, especially at cornerback in particular, because they've got options there. But I think they would feel better if they could figure out who's just who's gonna line up outside, and then you know beyond that, you know, okay, who's gonna you know handle the slot, because they've got guys who could do it. But they just need to they need to put everybody in their right place in order to kind of make things happen. We'll see. And we'll get to the schedule they play about how they can cover and defend. But and look at like transfers, that was one area where they didn't really get they got Juco transfer and the guy from Kansas to Kyle Mayberry. I guess a couple of like well, sorry, one more Hunter Reynolds. I didn't scroll up all the way for Michigan. But it all depends, like. I'll say a bunch of times. I don't know who's eligible and who's not. That's something we'll know during spring football because they, I don't have the dates when they transferred in because like I said, about whatever minutes ago, everybody's eligible to transfer at least once. Mm-hmm. And that's where Utah State's strength could be this year at a lot of positions. So yeah, we'll, we'll just see who's back there, like the shuffling transfers guys, but it's a unit where, when, okay, look, I'm thinking about this when, this way. When they play in the Mountain Division, they have – Wyoming's expected to pass forward, but I'm not going to see it until I believe it. The only passing team to really face is Boise State in the Mountain Division, right? Mm. Like Air Force, no. New Mexico, not going to be great if they do pass. 
Wyoming, maybe, but we'll see. Um, CSU, Dazio wants to run the ball, right? <laughs> That's all he wants to do. So that'll help them too when you look at who they play. Washington State will be really tricky the opener because of Nick Rolovich there. But overall, like they play, they play BYU, who probably try to throw a bit, but a new quarterback at New Mexico State, who's not all that great. So secondary may not necessarily need to be. They have Hawaii, who probably throw a decent amount, but they are a team where they're not going to need the secondary to lead them. They seem to be like, hey, don't screw it up back there, guys. We got this. Yeah, I mean, I think I think among the two coordinators that they brought in, you know, Tucker and, and Ephraim Banda, I think Banda is probably the one with the slightly tougher task in year one. Probably, yeah. Yeah. All right, special teams. Besides, I keep saying save on Scarver. He's pretty good, right? He is pretty good. Yeah, former <laughs> All-American, always a threat to break one open. But, you know, and I think, you know, the upside for Utah State last year is, the early returns on their on their new special teams contributors were pretty promising altogether. Like Stefan Cottonley wasn't quite at the level of, of other guys in the conference. Like he's not a Ryan Stonehouse. He wasn't a Tanner Colgan just yet. But you know, averaging over 40 yards of punt as a freshman is a is a pretty decent feat. Like he, you know, he outkicked Tyson Dyer on a on a per kick basis, which is you know not bad company to keep. And, and Connor Coles, even though he only had three field goal attempts. You have to give him credit for you know making all three, which which I think uh, is is a yeah. nice touch. Uh, I don't. I mean, he was eight of nine on extra points as well. So the foundation is there for special teams to be a plus again. Which you know, if either unit scuffles at any point, you know, just know, knowing that they have you know a punter who can you know, realistically flip the field at least a little bit, and having a, a kicker who's a, a better than 50-50 shot to at least get three points out of a drive. Is something that I think you know Anderson and everybody's going to be able to you know feel good about leaning their hats on. Well, yeah, if you make your kicks, right? Is that what you want to college kickers to make most of your kicks? Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of a I, like lot, I said. So. I think I think there's a lot of promise. I think there. I think you know maybe special teams isn't the most important unit or component of the game. Yeah, I would also say there's a lot of room potential for growth there. Like I'm not I'm not coming out and say that Coles is going to be like the new Dominic Dominic Everly overnight. But in his first goal run replacing it, really, I think he more than acquitted himself. And I think Kotzen oh, Lee right. has, a, has the potential to step up and be one of the better punters in the conference and take a, take another step forward and improve. Well, I guess it's all TBD, right? Yes. Until we get games going. All right. Schedule time? Let's do it. So their schedule, looking at what they play, it's um, balanced with not too many, like um, – there's not a huge stretch, in my opinion, where it's really tough or not. I mean, like there's a good balance of good games, tough games, easy games, not so easy games, despite yeah. them. And there's nothing that's going to kill them. Like their toughest stretch probably is Air – like we'll get to go in order, but Air Force, Boise, BYU is probably their toughest stretch of the year, right? I think so, yeah. I think so. And that – but they start off at Washington State. They're supposed to host um, the Wazoo Cougars last year, obviously, duh, covid I think he got rescheduled. Like, go to Washington State. Nick Rolovich is there, former Hawaii coach. Is also apparently a complete goofball. Not a goofball, but a dumb goofball, which is annoying. Um, Washington State's not supposed to be all that good this year either. You know what I mean? I mean, they they lost a few key pieces to the transfer portal. I think mm-hmm. you know one one question that they're going to have to resolve is you know who's going to operate the run and shoot because last year I think they had a true freshman Jalen Delora who. 
you know, he had some ups and some downs, but in the off season, he was popped for a DUI. Now he didn't participate in spring practices. And in the meantime, they brought in Jarek Guantarano from, uh, from Tennessee. And that doesn't even include the fact that they've got like three or four other guys who are theoretically competing for the job. Um, you know, they lost one of their leading wide receivers, Jamar Calvin to uh, Mississippi state. You know, maybe he followed Mike Leach down there to Starkville. Um, yep. So, I mean, but they, they do have Max Borgie who missed most of last year. He's back. Um, he's maybe the best pass catching running back in the country. Um, and I think, you know, that's really what the, you know, the, the fortunes of the, of the Cougars usually come down to is just, what does the offense look like? How well is it going to perform? And so in year two, I think the expectations are raised for, for Rolovich and company, but I think it's still sort of an open question here and there as to whether they're going to actually be able to uh, you know, rise to meet those expectations week in and week out. Yeah, with all the new players and makes name like transfers guys coming out coming in. Who's going to be that next guy? Mm-hmm. What we what we can expect we've seen him before. Throw the ball a lot. Running game's almost optional, depending on how much board he does. He only had ten carries for hundred, just under hundred yards. Mm-hmm. So that we don't know. It's a lot of unknowns, but we do know what they do. It just depends who's going to do it. We know yeah. defense isn't isn't going to be super disciplined. It might be just okay. And this Utah State, you're like. What they, how many games did they play last year? Five games, I think. That's Utah it, State games. played six games. No, no, Washington State. Oh, Washington, Wazoo. I think they – I don't even know. I think they played Sorry, five I have games. This, like the most most spectral played very few games. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to give my prediction. I'm not picking Utah State to win, but Washington State shouldn't scare anybody. They played four games for one and three. Hmm. And somehow they beat Oregon State, who was actually decent. Um, cause they played three tough games. They played Oregon, USC and Utah, uh-huh. not an easy way to do it. And Oregon state to open the year. I like to, I, I'm not going to predict Utah state, but I'll say it again real quick. If my laughter got over it, but it's, it's a game where I think what well, Utah state has potential to maybe to make it interesting and things really go their way, maybe pull the upset. It wouldn't be so shocking for what Washington state and what I saw last year and what all these pieces you mentioned who are out, who's going to start. There's a lot of unknowns for this Cougars team. Yeah, I mean, I think even despite the unknowns, you know, the fact that, you know, there are questions about Utah State's defense in particular. Yeah. Sort of makes me hesitant to pick them to, to open the season with a road upset. So I do have the Cougars winning this game, but it would not surprise me if they if they force it into a shootout, which, you know, I don't think Nick Rolovich would mind either. No. Nope. But I, I think that it, it would be sort of tough, I think, for Utah State to, you know, to keep up with them possession for possession. Totally agree. So you're going lost? Yeah. North Dakota victory. Not, a bad, next not a bad team, North Dakota, though. Yeah, that'll be fine. They am, I, am I allowed to have my FCS minute? Always. So, <laughs> so of course, not to be confused with North Dakota State. Um, and actually, if you, if you haven't looked at it, I would encourage everybody to go check out the, the first look that our Utah State guy, Logan Jones, put together. Um North Dakota is still a pretty good team in the Missouri Valley. Like they had an All-American running back last year in Oliver Weah. You know, they've got, you know, a couple of defensive contributors. Like I don't think Utah State's going to be in any danger of losing this game at home. But North Dakota is good enough to, to make it competitive for a good long while. So I don't think they're the kind of FCS team that you can just roll over and expect to, 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 to roll out of bed and win. No, I they, probably not, but they, they still will do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That'll be the end result, right? 
Yeah, I think or Sam McConkey was a, was a guy who wrote that. I apologize. To yeah, Sam. so, but it, we'll see how it is. It's a, uh, it's fine, decent for them. It'll be nice build build up a game. But the next three, I'm just saying right now, they're all losses. At Air Force, host Boise State, host BYU. Air Force, just because we you'll hear us talk about them, but the triple option, guys like Brad Roberts, Troy Calhoun, what they do, and again, you mentioned defensive line. Is it going to be ready for that game? Probably not. You know what I mean? that's going to be a very difficult matchup for a D-line to go up against Air Force with their run option attack. So that's kind of where I'm thinking there's no chance it can beat Air Force. Boise State, just too much talent this year, like Khalil Shakir, their QB situation's unsettled at the moment. Defense will be fine, too much talent. And then BYU, they got all these transfer receivers coming into town. Yes, they lost a lot of talent. Um, Did they, they, they lose pretty much more talent than any team in the country except for like Notre Dame? Fact, yes, they're near the bottom. <laughs> However, they still have some decent new receivers coming in. They have um, like Isaac, Isaac Rex, tight end. They have a couple guys who are pretty good. I, it'll be closer than people think. It's a home game, rivalry game. I just don't see them beating BYU. Even, it's just, I know BYU loses their offensive coordinator, Jeff Grimes. They have Aaron Roderick step up from passing game QB coach guy. I just think what we saw Utah State last year and what I'm not, and BYU's not going to be anything special. It's not going one in 10, 11 games. They might win like seven or eight. So we, we think, haven't talked about the Cougars yet, have we? Because we've done Nevada and uh, San Diego State and they don't play either of those teams. Oh, I thought we did. So I was going to briefly. No, we have not. Do you want to go more in depth on the Cougs? I just have one question Who's their quarterback? Who's their quarterback? <laughs> um, it should be Baylor Romney. Who we who we've seen both. Here's the QBs in the mix: Baylor Romney, uh, Jaron Hall, and this guy. Oh, what's his name? Sol J. P. Oh, what's his name? There's some other guys, a freshman, not in the mix because I can barely know his name. And I know I've covered BYU and followed him for my other work. Um, Jaron Hall stopped playing baseball because he played baseball recently on the BYU baseball team. We saw Gardner Baylor Romney beat Boise State. Remember? Like he came in and beat them. Yeah, it should be it should be Baylor Romney. It totally should be because Jaron Hall is more of a dual threat, kind of a not a run first guy, but he's more athletic, which could come in handy because Zach Wilson is reasonably athletic. But this guy's more. I'm going to run the ball. Zach Wilson more. Let's extend plays and then maybe I'll run mm-hmm. that type. That, if you get my drift on difference, but it should be Baylor Romney. But they lose guys like Matt Bushman. He didn't play last year, but he he could have came back. Tight end gone. Um, you have Dax Milne gone. Um, they also pretty good receivers, but they got all these guys, the Pakua guys from Washington, Utah, these new receivers who we don't know about for within the league and conference, but they, a ton of production coming in. So that's going to help them a lot. So it just, the quarterback and running back depth should be pretty good for who they had the past year or two. I forget which publication out there could be, I haven't gone through my whole Athlon yet, but they have them as like, I think a top 10 running back group in the country. And they had dual starters last year, and they played pretty well. Obviously, what you saw, they played well overall, but they ran the ball pretty pretty well when needed. And so, they have a good core, but it's basically new talent wide receiver, which is tricky to come by, and a new quarterback. You're placing the number two pick in the draft. Not easy. However, I still think BYU has just enough to beat Utah State this year. I don't know if I'm feeling it, man. Oh, I don't know if I'm feeling BYU this year. Do you ever feel BYU? No. (laughs) I guess I'm I'm being honest. I mean, 
I feel like with that much turnover and the fact that it's a home game for the Aggies, mm-hmm. yeah. I think if you're looking at one game in that three-game stretch that they are most likely to win, I think I it's I think it's probably that one, right? SP Plus has 88% chance for BYU to win. Really? 88%. What, what, I just I don't understand <laughs> what I'm missing with the Cougars. I just feel like they're they're due for like to be close a lot closer to a 500 team this year. Oh, you're not wrong. They're totally going to be close to 500 team. Like, I mean, if they're going to be close wins, to a 500 team, then I'm going to pick Utah State to win. They only have five likely wins on the schedule. Well, then I'm going to pick I'm going to pick Utah State to win. Do it. Go have Aggie fans love you, and they can hate me. I guess. All right, that, then I'm doing it. I'm, I'm I've got my spreadsheet up, and that that uh, cell is officially green. Okay, go for it. The transfers. <laughs> The official names, I'll give you the right names because I butchered them. Nil Pau. Um, then you have Pukua and Samson Akua, the brothers. Okay. So that's where they could make up for that lot the, the off lost the offensive loss. Like quarterback clearly, the receivers depends on the commission come in. But we but also think about too, Gunnar Romney has played a ton. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or no, so jeez, oh, I get us mixed up. Sorry. Gunnar Romney's the other receiver. Baylor Romney's the he we've seen him play so it's not like it's a brand new quarterback either mm-hmm. so he didn't play last year but he played here before a handful of games so it's of the 100 correct of those teams in that stretch this is clearly the most winnable i just don't think they're gonna win it that's all but i think i think the good news for aggies fans were even if they get off to a one and four start you know, there's still a chance in, in the back half of the schedule that they could make up enough ground to become bowl eligible because, you know, in the, in the second half of their schedule, a lot like, you know, UNLV probably a win. Would I be right about win. that? Yes, I'm correct. I agree. So then the last six games, Colorado State at home, Hawaii at home, at New Mexico State, win. at San Jose State, home versus Wyoming, at New Mexico. I'll, I'll say this. A bowl game hinges on them beating BYU. You think so? Yeah, because there's no way they beat Washington. Well, I shouldn't say no way, but high, unlikely they'll beat Washington State. No way they beat Air Force. No way they're beating Boise State. No way they're beating Hawaii. No way they're beating Wyoming. And I give San Jose State between no way and eh, we'll see. But it's on the road, so no way they're beating San Jose State. I mean, I think you're seeing more of a gap than maybe than I am then. Because I think there's a chance they could be competitive in all those games. Mm, I, I still remember defensive line. Wyoming's going to run the ball with Xavier Valley, crush up the middle. If Hawaii's smart on offense, they're going to be fine against them at at home. Like, I just don't. It's so I know there's so many new things in Utah State. New quarterback, new like new this, new that defense. All these transfers coming in. They get, maybe they'll mesh by game eight, but. If you like, you mentioned a dozen transfers coming in. If eight of nine of them play, that's good and not good because it's it's just kind of a who's able to play and who's not spring and ready to go. I just think there's a lot of that's what makes them like you're accurately and correctly saying earlier on the most intriguing, possibly the most intriguing team in the conference. Doesn't mean they'll be good or win the games. So you mentioned the, the win probability by SP by projected SP plus earlier for BYU. So I just want to throw it out there for a few more of these games because, you know, because of the, because the projections sort of, at least for right now, take a dim view of the Aggies. You know, I mentioned that I think they're projected <laughs> 121st overall. I don't think they're going to, I don't think they're going to finish there, but that's where they're starting. That's where they're projected. 
Hey, bold prediction. They're going to be a top 100 team. So, so by so by extension, what that means is like their win probability against Colorado State is just thirty three percent. So a one in three chance. Oh, geez, that's too low. Uh, against Wyoming, it's twenty three percent. So it's like one one in four. Against San Jose State, it's fifteen percent. So that's like one in six, roughly. Yeah. So I mean, I think they I think they've got to win one, maybe two of those games, which I I would say at a glance that the win probabilities for most of those is maybe a touch too low. Like I think Colorado State is closer to a 50-50. Oh, totally. Like I could, I could see CSU maybe winning, but I don't think they will. And I mean, like, I don't, Todd Centennial, give me a break. No. And I mean, I think that, I think the fact that, you know, I, I would imagine that what Hawaii and Wyoming might both be favored, but the fact that they're both at home I think is, is something that could make a difference as well. I think the key for Utah State, if they're going to try and take aim at bull eligibility, I think they've really got to try and win as many of their home games as possible. Because I'll, I think a lot of those games that to me seem like coin flips right now on June 7th, a lot of those are on the home field. And if they take it, if they win the majority of those, I think they're going to be in really good shape. So you're saying coin flips, flips at home, BYU, CSU, Hawaii, Wyoming, all coin flips? I don't know if I would include Wyoming in there. Me neither. I don't think that's a win at all. But I think Col- but I think Colorado State and Hawaii definitely are. <sighs> I think Hawaii's more 70-30, man. I mean, I think I mean Hawaii's got talent. Come I on, man. I think they got Calvin, they got Calvin freaking Turner. Come on. <laughs> I think it's maybe I think it's maybe like 60-40 because they they had hiccups of their own last year. Yeah. I but I think there's a they're gonna be a, a small margin of error if they're gonna make a bowl game. Like if we're looking at, I, I mentioned BYU hinge on there. I think that's likely, but you could also say, depending on your view of these teams, could it be um, uh, CSU or Hawaii? Mm-hmm. Because here's my thing. If you're saying, here, here's what maybe, maybe way I'll put it. If they could beat BYU, if they're better than BYU, which I'm not sure that's not the case at the moment, they're going to be better than CSU. But if like, but if they're not better than BYU, they're worse than CSU, worse than San, obviously the state, obviously New Mexico. Mm-hmm. The baseline is BYU and Hawaii, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Hawaii's better than BYU, I think. BYU is better than CSU. So it's like those are probably the two games, and they're both at home, like you mentioned. Hawaii, Boise, or well, Boise is, but that's not a win. But like BYU, CSU, Hawaii, Wyoming, all at home. You're right about the home slate. They need to win probably. At worst, split BYU-Hawaii, win both, they're guaranteed a bowl game. I think if they beat both those teams, but I just don't see them beating Hawaii. Yeah, well, watch me try to find a way to split the difference between all these all these coin flip I, games I don't know, or, or these, or these 40% probability games. Yeah. So like, so, like, how do you see that stretch playing out then? Like, who, who are the wins and who are the losses, in your opinion? I have them at five and seven. Okay. North Dakota, they start off a paltry one and four, and Aggie fans are not happy. Beat UNLV, beat CSU, beat New Mexico State, beat New Mexico. I basically, what I'm getting at, I don't see them beating a team that's a little bit better than them. That's fair. And I think BYU is just a little bit better than them, just a little bit. So, so that, that's where I'm sitting. Okay. So I've got them pegged for six and six. Because you got the BYU win? Yeah, so I've, I've down, so, so down the <laughs> so down the stretch. I'm just real quick. I think they're going to beat yeah. Colorado State. They should, but I think they'll lose to Hawaii. Yeah, they're going to they're going to go on the road. They're going to beat New Mexico State. 
I think they're going to drop both games to San Jose and Wyoming. And then I think they'll, they'll win at New Mexico in the finale. So I think they'll just scrape by to six and six to ball eligibility. I'll say this. The worst they'll be is four and eight, but I don't think they're getting only four wins. But I think they'll also be three and five in conference. So, you know, maybe that puts them sort of like as a, as a bubble team, as a bull eligible team. Yeah. But I think it also, I think it's sort of emblematic of how competitive I, I guess I've been saying that I expect them to be this year. I've, I, for me saying they're only five and seven, I, I am higher than I thought it would be after what they did for spring, who they brought in, all these transfers. I was thinking like they might win like two games. But then I'm like, okay, they played North Dakota fine. Oh, the Mexico. Oh, yeah, they played in Mexico. They played in Mexico State. They play UNLV. The schedule is beneficial for the West Division. They get the worst team, UNLV. They get Hawaii, who I think can fish anywhere from second to fifth. And they have San Jose State, who's undoubtedly going to take a step down, but still be really good. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what it goes. But that's where I'm sitting five and seven. You say six and six. See if it's a bowl game, but it's going to be an interesting team, and we'll know a lot more. And this is this is one of those previews where we do it early, sitting here in June, that there's going to be so many changes that we, when we do our mega kind of big preview, once fall camps concluded, they're close to it. We'll know a ton more. Maybe we'll change our records by quite a bit. I don't know. There's just a team with the most unknowns at the moment. I think out of any, think about any team we have. I think that's where I'd put them. I think they've got a lot of upside. I could see that, yeah. Like, like I said, they could they be Washington State? Maybe. I would like if I look at best case scenario, I don't see it overly far fetched to beat the Cougars, Washington State, or BYU. And maybe Hawaii, like if they get all those close games, and for me, that would put them at like eight and four. Yeah. But I just don't I don't see them putting the stretch together good enough consistently enough to have that type of record. Mm-hmm. Do you think like what's your kind of best case scenario for them before I wrap it up here? I mean, it's I think it's gonna involve pulling a couple of upsets that I'm not foreseeing right now. And it's just it it's hard for me to predict which of those upsets it might be because a lot of the you know, a lot of their tough games are on the road. Like you mentioned Washington State at Air Force at San Jose State. They could beat those teams. I like I'm not saying there's like a zero percent chance they beat those teams, but I just think there there's an uphill battle involved against all three of those teams, uh, including Boise State. I mean, I think I think the 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 ninetieth percentile, if you want to call it that, ninetieth percentile, they ruin somebody's season or or maybe multiple <laughs> seasons by pulling an upset that nobody expects. Like whether it's whether it's Boise State, whether it's like San Jose State trying to defend their title or something like that, or maybe you know Wyoming who has the inside track to a Mountain Division title, and then Utah State you know defeats them at home and, and throws throws everything back to Boise State or something like that. You know what I mean? I I don't think it's Boise State, but I can see, I see your point. I think I, the- they're going to be a lot more fun to watch this year. I hope so. I'm excited to watch them this year. They, they are a team where this stuff can happen. So, yeah. All right. That wraps up for preview number three. Nine more to go, people. Nine more to go. We go through this offseason, taking you step by step through the uh, media days coming up, uh, preseason stuff. So, mwr.com. We have a lot of our previews, position stuff going up there throughout the offseason. Um, so, right, hey, rate our podcast if you like what we're doing. If you like these long shows, let us know. And we'll be back next time. We'll have a Twitter poll at MWC Wire where we're still doing our. For, I guess we're going to do it the whole way, right, Matt? The kind of bracket style, winner yeah. advances. 
So we'll have three, three, and three next week, and then we'll pick the winner, and we'll be talking about whatever team you guys pick, right? That's where we're getting at. So it's always up to y'all. It's always up to y'all, and yeah, we'll see you. Uh, see you next time, folks. <laughs>